0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 228 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is Her Own Path, an interview with Ali Lopes. My name is Richard Johannesson.
1: And I'm Matt Sabatello.
0: Now, this is a really powerful story that we named her own path because this is a young woman whose mother was diagnosed with Lyme disease a year before she was diagnosed. And she followed her mother's path, which was to go to the same doctor. But when that doctor wasn't helping her, she was brave enough and took enough responsibility for her own care that she pivoted away from that doctor and went and created her own path to healing, which ultimately brought her to remission.
1: Rich, the most powerful part about this interview with Allie for me is the fact that she had vertigo for so many years, but today and for the last year, she's been vertigo free. She did a wide variety of supplements and natural medicine and even treated with three different Lyme specialists until she found the one thing or the two things that got into a place where she's feeling better and living her best life.
0: In the spirit of being on her own path, Allie did not only complete her undergraduate education and become a teacher, but she also pivoted over and became a health coach, a Mayo Clinic certified health coach, which she's now using to help other people in the community. So Matt, without further ado, I'm really excited to introduce Allie Lopes to the Tick Bootcamp community. Hey Allie Lopes and welcome to the Tick Bootcamp podcast.
2: Hi, thank you so much for having me.
0: We are really excited to have you Allie. Uh, Uh, Matt already shared with you that he's been geeking out on your questionnaire all week and he's been geeking out on your social media. So uh, finally, Matt gets his chance to ask you questions, but not until you and I work out some things like your background. So first, let's talk about um, where you're currently living, Allie, and what do you do?
2: So I currently live in Morristown, New Jersey, and I am a elementary school teacher as well as a health coach.
0: Wow. So, and you actually look like a teacher, Ali. I mean, this is an audio podcast, so nobody's going to know that, but you do look like a teacher. So, all right, Ali. So how long have you been a Jersey gal?
2: I've lived in New Jersey my entire life. I was born in North Jersey, but I had moved to South Jersey when I was two years old. Um, so I've been in New Jersey my whole life. I grew up here and I don't really want to leave.
0: <laughs> right. I love it. <laughs> so talk to us about what it was like to grow up in Jersey. You said you uh, you were in two different parts of Jersey. So let's talk about your early childhood. What was it like growing up as a young Jersey gal?
2: So when I was younger, um, I have an older brother as well. So we would always spend a lot of time together. Um, and then we moved down to Morristown. And Morristown has this beautiful main street. Um, and this really wonderful town and we really connected with everyone around us so as I was growing up I was always outside playing with my friends um you know going to school doing dance doing yoga every single activity you could think of um and it's kind of stayed that way up through high school until I left for college um
0: so. So, so, Ali, is, is, is Morristown a rural community, is it, is it a suburban community, is it more like an urban setting?
2: So, it's a little bit more suburban, um, but it's 20 minutes outside of the city of Philadelphia. So, fortunately, if I want to go into the city, I want to go explore somewhere new, um, I could head over to the city, it's a quick drive, go to some new restaurants, and just have a lot of fun. So, it's a really great location.
0: So you have the best of both worlds. You have a suburban <laughs> setting where you grew up with. There's a lot of outdoor activities that you can engage in, and if you wanted the city life rather than coming to New York City, the big city, you'd go to the other city, uh, Philly. And um, and so talk to us about um, about your outdoor activities. What kinds of things were you doing during your childhood outdoors?
2: So I would always love to play outside. I've never been a huge nature person. I never went into the woods. We don't really live near a woodsy area. Um, You know, we just have a typical backyard, Um, but you know, I would always be outside whether it be jumping rope or doing hula hoop. Uh, I remember doing chalk all the time as a kid and I never had found a tick on me at that time, but I was always outside. Um, We have dogs, so playing with the dogs outside. Um, you know, nothing too crazy. We've just had in regular backyard, regu- my friends' houses, you know, nothing was ever woodsy. Um, and we would just have a good time, you know, doing kid things. <laughs>
0: so talk, talk to us about what kinds of things that your parents were warning you against. Meaning, when you're a child, what kinds of things were your parents trying to urge you to protect yourself from? Were they be strangers or, you know, any kind of dangerous um, things in your community? What kinds of things were your parents warning you against?
2: Of course, the typical things, you know, like don't talk to strangers. If someone approaches you, you know, you don't go near them. Um, Nothing in regards to ticks Um, and that clearly has changed.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You've anticipated my question, right? Yes. Uh, So look, you you grew up on the East Coast. We call the East Coast the line Belt and uh, and New Jersey has a huge line problem. Uh, Not Mm -hmm. as much as maybe some other places, but certainly a huge line problem. Uh, and you're a young woman, right? I mean, you're, you're only 24 years old. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, the Lyme disease epidemic had hit New Jersey long before, you know, you became an adult. So mm-hmm. what kinds of information did you receive either from your parents or from, or from your educational experience about ticks and tick diseases?
2: So I didn't really learn much about tick and tick diseases until I got Lyme myself. Um, When I was younger, I did have two ticks on me, but no one has done anything. We just pulled them off and I was completely fine. Um, And that was because my friend lived at a lake um, and that's where one came on me. But from now, you know, I've learned so many different things (laughs) about ticks Um, and I am always going out with tick spray on my clothes and on my shoes. Um, But back then I really didn't know much. Um, But now it feels like it's just, I know everything. I feel
0: like I'm an expert. Let's talk a little bit about that. And we're going to talk about how you acquired your expertise. But now that you know what you know, Mm -hmm. do you believe that if during your childhood, your parents knew what you now know, or you knew what you now know, do you believe you would have been able to protect yourself from ticks and tick diseases and therefore would not have had to go on this very difficult journey you've been on?
2: I do. I do. I think if I knew about it, I would definitely have acted differently and would have been able to protect myself. Um, And I think my parents definitely would have protected myself from that as well. Um, But I'd also have a lot more anxiety. And I think as a kid, you know, it was better that I didn't know, you know, about ticks or what could happen Um, because now I'm super cautious and very aware. Um, But back then, you know, I think my parents would have taken them precautions and maybe when they saw a tick when I was younger, they would have taken me somewhere. But otherwise, you know, of course they would have protected myself. But then at the same time,
0: well, but let's talk angry. about that. Ali. Yeah, but let's talk about that, right? So, so if if uh, you said that you think that if you knew about ticks and Lyme disease as a child, your anxiety level would have been higher because now your anxiety level is higher as a result of having gone on the journey. What, what if I what if I said to you um, that we could teach you how to protect yourself from ticks, that if you're aware of, uh, of ticks and where they are and how they behave, and I gave you steps to protect yourself from coming in contact with them. And then in addition to that, gave you steps on how to protect yourself so that you wouldn't get sick. If you came in contact with ticks, would that make you more anxious or less anxious?
2: I have to say less anxious when you put it that way.
0: (laughs) So because, because the anxiety that you have, right, is largely based on the belief that you can't keep yourself safe from Lyme disease. But if you could, if you could keep yourself from Lyme disease, if we could give you the tools and the education that was necessary for you to keep yourself safe, your anxiety level would be lower rather than higher, right? Of course. Okay, so let's talk about let's talk about when you were bitten by the ticks. So you said you were a little girl, and you, and there were at least two occasions where you remember having bitten by ticks. So talk to us about whether or not that was one occasion where you had two ticks on you, or were they two separate occasions where you had two separate ticks on you? Okay,
2: so I was at a sleepover at my friend's house, and I had woken up the next day with two ticks in my hair, and I was just I was twelve years old, so I was just putting my hair in a ponytail or doing something with my hair, and that's when I felt them. Um, however, after that, I felt completely fine. I never went to the doctor. I just pulled them off of me. Um, so that was only one occasion where I had found two on me at the same time.
0: Okay. Pause, pause that for a second. So you, so you're at, you're at the sleepover, you, you, you're fixing your hair and you rub your fingers across a portion of your body and you feel the ticks, right? Yes. Now, how did yes. you know they were ticks? Did you have any training about ticks? Did anybody tell you about ticks? I mean, how did you know when your fingers touched the the ticks that you were in fact bitten by ticks?
2: So the first one I pulled off, I was at my friend's house and I just thought it was a bug, so I pulled it out. But the second one, I was at my house and I had pulled it out, and my mom had saw it, so she knew it was a tick, and then from them I knew how to recognize what a tick looked like. But the first time a few hours earlier, I just thought it was a bug um, until my mom had seen it when I pulled it another one out when I got home.
0: <laughs> okay, so now your mom your mom is now aware that you were bitten by a tick. What mm-hmm. steps did she take? Did she call a doctor? Did she take do anything to to treat the area where you were bitten by a tick? Did you say the tick? What kind of steps did your mom take after you were bitten by the tick?
2: So we did not go to the doctor. Um, but she knew to look for a bullseye. So she said, if a rash starts to appear or a bullseye, then we'll take you to the doctor. Other than that, it never appeared. So we didn't really do anything. And I was feeling fine.
0: Okay. So essentially what your mom was looking for was whether or not you had any physical symptoms of an illness
2: yeah.
0: or if you had a bullseye rash, right? Yes. And you think your mom knew at that time that a bullseye rash actually very rarely appears when somebody has Lyme disease? And do you think she knew that there were other types of rashes other than a bullseye rash? Um, And did she have any idea that perhaps there would be some window of time where the bullseye rash might appear sometime after the bite? Were any of those things taken into consideration by you and your mom?
2: So she knew to wait maybe about a week to see what happened. Um, But I can certainly say that there was not much education on that part because neither of us knew what to do. We just thought, okay, if you have Lyme disease or if you get bitten by a tick, a bullseye is going to show up maybe over the next week. If it doesn't, you're fine.
0: Okay. So now how do you know a bullseye didn't show up at any time? Were you looking at every part of your body Every day for someone to have time? Or were you just sort of casually expecting that there might be a bullseye in some place where the bite had taken place? And by the way, you also had a bite in your hair. So, mm-hmm. you know, how did you know there wasn't even a bullseye where the tick bite had taken place?
2: So, I guess I really don't know if there was one in my hair or on my head um, because I can't see that. Everything else, I would really just be pretty mindful, you know, if I'm taking a shower or something like that. Um, But I didn't feel anything. I was never itchy. Didn't feel like I'd have a rash and never noticed anything. So it could have been on my hair, but.
0: (laughs) Well, let's talk about the rest of your body, Ali. I mean, first of all, you're only 12 years old, right? So 12 year olds aren't necessarily the best at checking themselves, right? right? And of course, because we are, because our eyes are front facing, there are parts of our body that we can't see. So was there some regular checking of the parts of your body that you could see by you? And in addition to that, was your mom checking the portions of the body that you couldn't see? Or were you just sort of expecting that there might be only a rash at a place where I can see and I'm going to notice?
2: I figured I would notice. Um, As long as I didn't feel anything, as long as I wasn't itchy, then I figured I was okay. You know, I saw what I saw. I wasn't going you know and looking at every part of my body um i just felt like you know what i don't really see anything so i think i'm okay
0: okay so now you're 12 years old you get past this experience where you have these two ticks biting you you're feeling fine you don't think anything more about it what kinds of things were you now working toward meaning where did Allie expect that she was going to be in her life what kinds of dreams did you have And what kinds of things were you working toward
2: so at 12 years old you know i just wanted to get through school um and it wasn't until high school where I started having the symptoms. So at that time, I was just trying to get myself through school, hang out with my friends, go to dance class, go to ice skating classes, um, and just live my life.
0: All right. But, but Allie, what were you dreaming about? Meaning during this winter of your time between 12 and 18, when your symptoms first start, you're a teacher now. Was it your vision that you were going to be a teacher? You're a health coach. Was it your vision you're going to be a health mm-hmm. coach? Or Did you have some vision that you're going to be doing something else?
2: So I definitely never envisioned being a health coach, um, but teacher was always in the back of my mind. You know, the dream is always to be an actress. That is still the dream. I wish I could do that. Um, But I really wanted to work in special education. And that was something I was really working toward. And that was was my dream at the time was special education.
0: Uh, So you had a passion for education. You had a passion for working with people with special needs. And what kinds of things were you doing in this time in your life to prepare yourself for this passion of of educating people with special needs and perhaps maybe even developing a career um, in acting?
2: So as far as acting goes, I definitely wasn't doing as much. I was just still taking my dance classes. I wish I could have done more, but maybe one day. (laughs) Um, As far as special education goes, I was volunteering and I worked often with kids and adults who had autism. And throughout my high school career, I was fortunate enough to be able to teach in a special ed classroom during one hour of the day. Um, I was the only student in the high school who was allowed to do this. Uh, I don't really know why. I think I just was really good terms with my guidance counselor. (laughs) And um, I was able to work with the special needs high school kids. And every single day I would see them. And when I would volunteer, I would work with adults and kids. So I'd learn from that. Um, And it's just something I became really passionate about because they taught me a lot as well.
0: So now your symptoms begin to develop when you're about 18 years old. Now, were you still in high school at that point or had you already gone off to college?
2: So I was in high school. I was about to leave for my senior trip to Disney. So it was the day before in March.
0: (laughs) So talk to us about what was going on in your life at that time, because we we know that in most cases, folks are able to manage the Lyme bacteria and the other bacteria that are spit into us by uh, by biting ticks. But in many cases, what happens is there are immune disrupting events before symptoms begin to take off. Uh, It could be stresses. It could be other illnesses. It could be other things that are interfering with our um, our immune function. So what was going on in your life, if anything, that you believe may have been immune disrupting?
2: So I am not one who loves leaving home. So I think going on senior trip to Disney by myself with, I mean, I was with my classmates, but without my parents, I was stressed. And I do think that could have brought it on, Um, especially being in a senior in high school, you know, you're still trying to get through the year, you wanna go to college. There's a lot going on. Um, So I was under stress, but I think maybe the stress of leaving is something that brought it on.
0: Um, So Alec, but let's talk about it because that is a really... Important transitionary time in our lives, right? Mm -hmm. We're leaving all of our friends from high school. We're now going on to a new school where we may or may not know anyone, Mm where we're 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 doing all kinds of really stressful things. There are proms and graduations and all kinds of things where, you know, we also know that we're, you know, sort of taking a big step into our adult lives, right? We're we're not really children and we're not going to be taken care of anymore. So talk to us about what all of that was like for you at that time and what all those stresses were like. So
2: It was pretty stressful. Once I got my symptoms Um, beforehand, you know, I'm stressed in college, leaving for my senior trip, but it was became more stressful as I started to feel my symptoms every day. Um, And then I started to kind of worry, am I going to be able to take care of myself? What's going on? I'm going to be living in a room by myself, hours away from my parents. How do I get to the doctor? You know, I'm in a new area. So all these things were kind of stressing me out. Was how can I live my life? How can I go to school and feel everything that I'm feeling? And of course, okay. that didn't help any of the symptoms.
0: Of course. So, <laughs> so stress upon stress upon stress are right, causing your symptoms to develop. So talk to us about what the symptoms were like, meaning what were your first symptoms? And mm-hmm. and how were your symptoms now interfering with the pursuit of what you were were pursuing?
2: So my first symptom was vertigo. I woke up one day um, in March of my senior year with vertigo. And later on that day, I started to feel really sick. And I just kind of felt like a stomach flu kind of sick. And I was in bed, I was really tired. I forced myself to go on the senior trip the next day, regardless of how I was feeling. And I had went to the doctor and they just said, probably just a bug, a little stomach flu. You'll be fine. Over the course of the week, while I was in Disney, my body started to feel better, but my head with the vertigo did not. I kept feeling dizzy and the dizziness kept lasting and would not go away.
0: So how did how did these developing symptoms impact your experience at Disney? Meaning, were you able to enjoy your time there? Were you able to go on all the rides and have the fun that I think your high school envisioned that you would have? Or was this just, you know, ruining the experience?
2: I wish the experience was better, that's for sure. Um, I wouldn't want to say that it ruined it. I'm someone who likes to push myself and no matter what I'm feeling, I'm like, I'm going to do this. Like (laughs) I'm going to go on this ride. I'm going to get this snack. I'm just going to do it no matter what. Um, so I think just having that, um, you know, perseverance almost to keep going, um, was what helped me, but it was difficult. I mean, walking around all day is not easy when your head is spinning. (laughs)
0: Let's talk about that, Ali. Right. So, so having this perseverance or having this grit is certainly something that we generally reward and encourage in young people. But, you know, one of the one of the problems with these, the so-called perseverance is it causes us to ignore the signals from our body, right? Your body was telling you you were sick. Your body was telling you something was wrong, right? But you were ignoring these signals because you had perseverance, right? Because you wanted to do everything that all your friends were doing and you wanted to have a good time on this trip. Yes. So do you think that this this concept of perseverance or this, 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 this concept of being gritty is something that actually hurt you.
2: At the time. Yeah. Um, Because now, you know, I'm definitely more self-aware. I know what my body needs, but at the time I just figured, you know what, I have a stomach flu. I'll get over it. It will be okay. Maybe I haven't felt this way before, but fortunately I'm with my friends and I want to have a good time. So I wasn't really listening to anything that my body needed because I wasn't able to really understand what it was telling me.
0: Okay. So let's, so you come back from the trip from Disney and how, uh, how do your symptoms develop?
2: The dizziness had stayed with me, um, for many years after. And to be honest, that was my only symptom. I do get tired, you know, occasionally. And I was, Um, But the stomach flu type symptoms went away. And all I've experienced was dizziness from the day that I got home.
0: Okay, I actually want to take you back for a minute. Before you went to Disney, you said you went to see a doctor. And you had these you had these flu like symptoms. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you think you were bitten by a tick and reinfected just before you went to the trip? um, And you went to see your doctor?
2: It's very possible. I did not see a tick on me. I wasn't anywhere that I could remember where a tick could get on me. Um, You know, I do have a dog, so that's always possible. Um, But I I myself were not, you know, in the woods or where you would think a tick would get on you. Um, I'm not a super nature person. So I'm usually indoors or at the mall, you know. So it's very possible that a tick could have bitten me or maybe it bit me a long time ago and then stress kind of just started everything.
0: Could be so. Yes. either is the case. So let's talk about your dog and the way that you parent your dogs. Right. So. <laughs> um, so um, the the last two times I've been bitten by a tick in the last few years, in both cases, uh, my tick was brought in by my dog. Right. She came in and I was sitting with her and the tick left her and walked on me. And ultimately, in one case, I was bitten in one case, I wasn't. Right. Mm-hmm. So. W- what kinds of steps were you and your family taking at that time to make sure that your ticks your your ticks your dogs were not bringing ticks into the house and, and and putting you in a position where you could come in contact with ticks?
2: So at that time, you know, my dog would just wear a regular flea collar. She would get her typical medicine that she needs to get, um, but it wasn't taken as seriously as it is now. So, you know, if she would go outside, and I went to go hold her. No one really thought anything of it because at that time, Lyme disease wasn't even a consideration.
0: All right. So let's talk about that now. So you're now, you know, a young woman. You're 18 years old. You're you've grown up in the Lyme belt. New Jersey is full of Lyme cases, right? <laughs> you go to your doctor with very classic Lyme disease symptoms, right? Did your doctor at any point? We'll talk about the first doctor you went to see. Did your doctor at any point say, "Allie"? This is something we want to keep an eye on, and perhaps you have Lyme disease, and when you come back from your trip at Disney, please let me know how things go, and maybe we should be thinking about taking a um, Lyme test.
2: I wish. (laughs) No, that did not happen. Um, The complete opposite happened was, we don't really know what's wrong with you. Probably just a stomach flu. You'll get over it. You can go on your trip.
0: Okay, so talk to us about how your symptoms developed between now arriving back on your trip and when you finally got your diagnosis six years later.
2: <laughs> so the only symptom that I had from the trip to six years later was the dizziness.
0: Well, so, also fatigue, right? We we know and that fatigue. fatigue is the number one symptom that everyone with Lyme disease has in common. So you had fatigue, and and you had um, and you had you had your vertigo, right?
2: Yes. Yeah, so um, I would have these episodes of vertigo occasionally. And then in between all those episodes, I would just feel dizzy. And I was feeling tired, but you know, I was also finishing up school, I was working. um, So I figured, you know, I'm just tired from all of that. It's nothing else is wrong with me. I just don't know what this dizziness is. Okay, Um, so
0: let's pause there again, right? So we have We have the gritty Allie who's rewarded by everyone for being tough and fighting through these challenges, right? She goes on her trip to Disney. Now her body's signaling her, hey, I'm really tired, even though I'm only 21, 22, 23 years old, right? Hey, you know, I'm dizzy, even though I'm only 21, 22, 23 years old. Hey, I have vertigo, You know, and, and, but you just keep gritting through this and you keep fighting through this, right? You're, you're not listening to your body signals, right?
2: No, not listening at all. Cause I, I, like I said, I wasn't really aware. We were just trying to figure out how do I stop this? You know, I figured I could just take something and it will go away. You know, maybe it's my allergies, um, sinuses, you know, it could have just been anything.
0: Um, so, so the medical community sets us up to believe that we will go to a doctor, a doctor will tell us, you know, what kind of a pill we need, and then we're going to get better. Right. And that's what you were looking for. You were looking for the doctor to give you the pill so that you would get better. Right. Yes. (laughs) So how many different doctors did you go to between the age of 18, the age of 24, where you were expecting that they would give you this diagnosis and they would give you a pill and you would get better.
2: I believe I've been to at least five or six doctors, maybe more. I think I lost track after a while.
0: <laughs> so how many different disciplines of doctors did you see? Meaning you, you said you went to, I guess, was either your pediatrician or your primary care physician when you were 18. Mm-hmm. Um, talk, to, talk to us about the other doctors you went to see and what kinds of symptoms did you describe to these doctors as you were going to each doctor?
2: So I've been to my primary care physician. Um, I went to the ears, nose, and throat doctor. Um, I've been to a neurologist. I've been to an allergist. Um, And then I started going to functional medicine. So like holistic medicine. Um, And then I went to a doctor who did a little bit of both Western and Eastern medicine. Okay. And during that time, um, I would
0: No. So, so keep, please keep going during that time. what?
2: During that time, I would just explain to them that, you know, I was feeling dizzy. I was feeling tired. It's making me anxious. And they would just tell me that, well, the anxiety is what's causing the dizziness and it's probably just an ear problem.
0: Oh, all right. So it wasn't all in your head. It was somewhere near your head, right? It was an ear Mm -hmm. problem rather than rather than just an emotional problem. Right. Mm -hmm. So so you, you, you went to doctor after doctor, discipline after discipline, living in the Lion Belt in New Jersey, where there's a lot of Lyme disease, and none of these doctors are thinking that you have Lyme disease. They're just thinking, oh, it's normal for a healthy 21, 22, 23-year-old kid to be dizzy, to have fatigue, to have uh, to have vertigo on a regular basis, right? Yep. <laughs> yep. So when was the first time you had the inkling that perhaps you had Lyme disease?
2: So in this crazy twisted story, my mom actually had gotten sick at the same time as I did. She had different symptoms. We did not think we had the same thing. Um, And in the long run, my mom was a lot worse. So she had found out that she had Lyme disease about a year later. And then when she found out that she had Lyme disease, she had told me and said, look, you're still feeling dizzy. I think you should go get checked. And that's when I got checked. And that's how I found out I had Lyme disease.
0: Okay. Let's walk this back Ellie. (laughs) I know. It's a lot. (laughs) So, so your, your, your mom and you were suffering from parallel symptoms.
2: Yes. Except hers were a little bit worse. Hers, her stomach type symptoms did not go away, but mine did.
0: So how long did it take your mom to get her Lyme disease diagnosis from when she first started showing symptoms to the time where she finally got her diagnosis?
2: Over a year, over a year. And she was very sick.
0: So where was this in your journey? How old were you around the time your mom was having these parallel symptoms and she finally got her diagnosis?
2: So it happened the same week that I had gotten sick. So that day before I left for my senior trip, I woke up with vertigo. My mom woke up with vertigo the day
0: after. So, (laughs) so your mom gets a diagnosis of Lyme disease when she's having parallel but more severe symptoms. Yeah. But it only takes a year for her to get her diagnosis, but you don't get your diagnosis for six years. What's the deal, Allie?
2: (laughs) So I did get my diagnosis actually to a year and a half later, um, once she found out. So It has been six years in total, and I have okay. been treating
0: it. Um, I I'm sorry, I, I I blew the timeline, right? so you you got your <laughs> diagnosis two years after your after your bite, and your mom got her diagnosis a year later.
2: Yes, yes.
0: okay, okay. so uh, so I apologize for me- messing up the timeline.
1: Yes. so you
0: your your um your so your mom was diagnosed a year before you were. What do you think caused the, you know, the disconnect between you having the similar symptoms, but yet not getting a diagnosis? Do you think it's just because you were healthier and you were managing it better and that's why you didn't get a diagnosis? Or do you believe that you were not treated as seriously by the doctors because of your age, um, as opposed to your mom being an adult and her her symptoms being taken more seriously?
2: I think it was... Because of the situation I was in, I was in college. So I wasn't really able to go to the doctor as frequently. I wasn't able to come home as quickly. And um, I was also able to manage it. You know, I had the one symptom. Yes, it's annoying. Yes, it caused me anxiety. But I wasn't feeling anything like my mom. So was it Lyme disease? I mean, I only had one thing. Anything I read was all these other symptoms, you know? And how come I only have
0: one? No, but Ellie, again, I have to challenge you on that because I don't think you had the one symptom. You were, you were a young, you know, 18, 19, now 20 year old kid, and um, you were tired all the time, right? Um, it wasn't that you just had the one symptom. And, the, and your one symptom was you were dizzy at times, but you also had vertigo at times. So, you know, mm-hmm. it, even now you're sort of like discounting a lot of these different symptoms that you were facing. And, you know, you weren't, you were not as in tune to your body because you were a tough kid and you were, you were, you know, you were socialized to be tough and you were gritty and you weren't listening to your body. Right.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's ignorance too. As a college kid, as a high school kid, you don't think you can get sick. You're, you know, I'm powerful. Nothing's going to affect me. Nothing's going to happen to me. So it's a little bit of ignorance. You know, maybe I have this problem, but I don't want to face it either. Cause I want to live my life and I want to have fun and I want to go to college and I don't want to be that kid.
0: Right. So you, you don't want to be the sick kid.
2: Right. Right.
0: So now your mom finally says to you, Ali, maybe you have Lyme disease, right? Uh, you, you, we have similar symptoms. Um, did you go to the same doctor as your mom and what kind of testing did you do to ultimately determine that you have Lyme disease?
2: So, yes, I did go to the same doctor as my mom and we did a Western blood blood test um, and it got sent out to a lab in California, and I got the results back, and I had three bands of Lyme disease.
1: Allie, was the testing done through Igenics out of California, or was it a standard lab?
2: It was done on Igenics. Yep.
1: And are you comfortable sharing the name of the doctor who diagnosed your mom and subsequently you as well?
2: It was Dr. Stephen Streit.
1: And did you go on to treat with Dr. Streit?
2: I did for about a year. And then my mom has continued. She is still with him. I had changed doctors.
1: So I also want to challenge you before we go on with that a little bit more, more on the lines of what Rich was saying is you keep saying you only had one symptom, but I also wonder did the vertigo cause your anxiety or were you anxious as a result of having Lyme disease, right? Because we do know many psychological symptoms can be the result of chronic Lyme disease. So looking back, you know, what do you think?
2: Looking back, I would say that the anxiety mostly stemmed from the vertigo, just because the first day it happened, I got really scared. Um, If you've ever experienced vertigo, you know, the room is just completely spinning. I mean, you can't stop it. So I think the anxiety stemmed from, is this going to happen again, especially as I was going to college and I'm going to be by myself? You know, what if I can't get up one day and I'm in a dorm room alone? Um, and then over time, I just feel like the anxiety and the vertigo kind of went hand in hand and maybe the Lyme caused the anxiety, but then on top of that, I was anxious about my vertigo and then that made even more anxiety.
1: So when you got your blood test through thrigenics, were there any tests looking for other tick borne illnesses besides Lyme disease?
2: It did look for co-infections. Um, so I just had the co-infections, um, and I forget which one. I um, I just had the co-infections and the Lyme disease. Um, I forget the name of the co-infection.
1: Was it Babesia, Anaplasma, Ehrlichia, Bartonella? Neobose? Bartonella. Bartonella.
2: I knew it started with a B.
1: <laughs> so again, more interestingly, and and not not to say that you're wrong, but Bartonella is the tick-borne illness that is known to cause psychological symptoms. And you said you never had anxiety before, so I wonder if together they just really amplified your your condition, right? I mean, you were getting dizzy, you were getting anxious, maybe Bartnell was making you more anxious, which is, you know, making you more fearful of, of, of getting dizzy. And when you when you live in fear like that, and you have anxiety, your body becomes weak, your immune system becomes weak, and you're making yourself get sicker and sicker and sicker. And I shouldn't say you're making yourself get sicker and sicker, you're getting sicker and sicker and sicker. I mean, what, what do you think about that?
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, any kind of stress, any kind of anxiety, it's not beneficial for your immune system. So of course, yeah, I was making myself worse, but, you know, they all kind of intertwine. You know, it's kind of hard to figure out what started first.
1: <laughs> so Ali, I also have to ask about, because we hear about Lyme rage all the time, and that's a pretty common word in the, in the Lyme community, but we've been for about the last year exploring this concept of Bartonella rage, that it's really not Lyme or the, or the Borrelia bacteria that causes this rage from tick-borne illness, but it's Bartonella. And there are a lot of studies and a lot of, a lot of experts we've interviewed in the community that have told us that they agree they believe it's related to Bartonella. So did you ever experience any sort of anger or rage that you didn't experience prior to getting sick?
2: Um, I definitely had a lot more frustration. So before getting sick, you know, I I was never anxious. I was never angry. You know, I was just a normal, happy kid, going to high school, you know, dressing up every day. I loved it. Um, I didn't feel any kind of frustration until... I started having these Lyme symptoms and it was more out of why can't I figure it out? And why isn't it going away?
1: And how did this impact your relationship with your friends and your family, especially once you got diagnosed? Did it, you know, were you getting more frustrated with your parents or your friends? Were you sort of, you know, acting out towards people close to you?
2: Oh, absolutely. Uh, Things got emotional pretty quickly. (laughs) There was many times where you know, I would get into an argument with maybe my mom or my dad um, just because they saw me suffering and that hurt them. And then I would say, look, I'm not feeling well. I don't know what's wrong with me. And I'd kind of just go into this breakdown and that definitely impacted relationships with my family, which fortunately, you know, my family has always supported me. They're there for me, but a lot more arguments and a lot more problems kind of happened. And as far as my friends go, you know, I always hear people say, why am I losing my friends, you know, and my friends, you know, they're so wonderful. I've had them since I was in elementary school. So they were always there to support me. But through college with friends, I didn't really know, I tend to lose them pretty quickly, because I'm the one that can't go out and do anything.
1: So I have to ask you looking back, and I think this is very common with people that we're close with, especially when we're really sick and we're really frustrated that we take it out on the people that we're closest to and that we love the most. Right. Mm-hmm. I know I've been there. It sounds like you've been there. And, you know, looking back, what advice would you give to somebody who's listening to this podcast, who's in the throes of it, just got diagnosed and is realizing that maybe they're doing the same thing. What would you have done differently to help mend those relationships or have a better relationship with your, your parents and, the, and your loved ones that you sort of, you know, lashed out on?
2: I definitely would have worked on my, my own mindset a little bit more. And before I last out, take a few deep breaths, know everything's going to be okay. And kind of reframe the narrative a little bit and think about what are my parents doing to support me? What are my friends doing to support me and think positively rather than kind of just break down and say, no, one's ever going to figure out what's wrong with me. This is never going to go away. Definitely just taking that time to breathe. And calm yourself down. Um, journaling, I always say, is so helpful. But also, you know, if you're able to talk it out with someone, go ahead and do it. You know, all you need is for someone to listen. They don't even have to respond. All you need is for someone to listen because you just want to get that out. Um, so talking about it, you know, but also taking that time to just breathe and know that it's normal. It's frustration but everything's going to be okay. We just need to think a little differently.
1: And Allie, when you were really bad, were there times where you just knew no matter what, you wouldn't be able to have a rational engagement or or discussion with, let's say your parents, and it was best to just walk away. And when you knew you were calmer, go back and re-engage them in that discussion.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are so many times where I felt depressed, you know, Um, and I would have to walk away. And Every time I took that time to myself, I was able to think a little bit more clearly. And then I could go back in and say, you know what, this is what I'm going to do. And this is how I was feeling.
1: So talk to us more about Dr. Strite. So you get your diagnosis. Your mom is treating with Dr. Strite. Now you know you have Lyme disease and Bartonella and your initial treatment is with Dr. Strite. So I guess before even going to your treatment, did he warn you that, treating late stage tick illness especially when you have neurological symptoms is not an easy task
2: at the time we had no idea it was late stage uh we had no idea how long i've had it we just figured you know it was a year when i had my symptoms um but i could have gotten it way before that and it could have just been triggered you know so at that point we didn't know it was chronic we just figured We'll go on antibiotics. He knew to go on antibiotics and I was on them for at least a year. And he was okay with that. He was the one that told me that.
1: And I'm sorry, what kind of doctor was Dr. Streit?
2: He was a mix mix of both. He was like an infectious disease doctor, um, but he's also a primary care physician.
1: And was the one year of antibiotics covered by your insurance?
2: No, (laughs) it would have been nice. Um, but many of the doctors that I went to, it was not covered by insurance.
1: So Allie, what kind of antibiotics were you on specifically for that one year period?
2: I was on doxycycline.
1: And were there any other antibiotics mixed in or combined in, or was just straight doxycycline for the one year?
2: It was straight doxycycline for the one year. Um, I was on the liquid formula because I found out that I could not take the pill. The pill actually made me really sick. I would um, get pretty sick from it. So I was on the liquid one. Um, for about a year.
1: So talk to us about how sick you would get, because a lot of people do get a reaction to oral doxycycline, especially in the pill form. So was it, was it a stomach ache? Was it upset stomach? What kind of reaction were you having to it?
2: I would have an upset stomach and I would vomit from it. Um, So being in college and just even not in college, I just didn't want to be doing that every time I took my medication and I switched to the oral one and um, the liquid And I figured that one worked the best and I didn't have a
1: reaction to that. Ellie, were there any discussions about having a Herx reaction or anything like that to prepare you for the treatment?
2: So there was mention of it. Um, I didn't really come to an understanding of that until a couple months later, you know, I probably was on the doxycycline for about four to six months. So this was like a little bit later, um, And that's when the herxing started to come up. My mom knew about it first. um, And then she kind of told me, you know, you might feel a little bit worse. And that's when I kind of went into, okay, what is this herxing? How worse am I going to (laughs) feel?
1: So for about the first three to four months, it sounds like you probably stayed the same. And then about in a month four, you started to feel worse and started to have that herx reaction.
2: Yeah, it definitely got worse. It definitely got worse um, before I got better. Um, And what about
1: you? what about your mom now? Because now you're four months in and your mom is a year and four months in, you know, where was she at in parallel as you guys were kind of going through this journey together?
2: So my mom also got worse when she was on that. So she was on doxycycline as well. Um, and I believe she took Um, And that was another one that I eventually got on just to kill the candida bacteria. Um, but she was a lot worse. She had, she was, had trouble walking um she fortunately was able to you know come to my graduation and attend different events um but she was definitely a lot worse during that time um and that was even hard for me to deal with as well because we kind of had to just take care of each other
1: so walk us through how much worse your symptoms got when you started to hurt. so did you develop any new <laughs> symptoms and what existing symptoms worsened
2: so the new symptoms i developed were shaking um I would get dizzy and the dizziness definitely got worse. I was also still tired, um, but the herxing, I would shake like uncontrollably. Um, I didn't have any you know, stomach issues. I didn't have any pain, nothing like that, but I would shake. And I remember I would take um, a selfie in a mirror. I love, I love fashion. So I would always take a picture of my outfits. And if I bent my head a certain way, my head would just vibrate Um, and it was really scary. It would just shake. Um, And I remember, you know, I'd be walking to class or I'd be doing something at school and all of a sudden my whole body would just start shaking. Um, Almost kind of like the feeling of you haven't eaten in a while and your blood sugar is a little bit low and you need some food. Um, Except I had eaten and my body was just feeling like it was vibrating from the inside. And that was a weird symptom for me.
1: (laughs) So so you were still going to school, you were going to class, you were in college, you were Mm -hmm. treating and managing Lyme disease and Bartonella. So, you know, how did that impact your college career? Because obviously with doxycycline, you can't drink alcohol, you have to avoid the sun. So what impact did it have on your life, I guess, socially as
0: well?
2: So I've always been someone who has not drank alcohol. You know, I've had tried it here and there. I'm really not a fan of it. I like to say I'm fun without it. Um, <laughs> but as far as, you know, going to college, it was really difficult. You know, I had to find time to take my antibiotic. I had to find time to take my medication. I want to make sure I was sleeping. Um, I couldn't stay out late and go to parties, things like that. Um, and I was really worried. So, I pushed myself again to go to college and do what I could do and live on my own, but a lot of nights were me crying and calling my mom on the phone, panicking, you know, why am I still feeling with this way? Why is it so difficult? Um, But through college, you know, as far as going to class, I would go to class and I'd come right home. I was fortunate to do some activities, but they were always difficult for me. Um, So even though I did get through it, it was a challenge. And um, one year I even wanted to just drop out. I remember I left school one night and I said, I'm not gonna do this anymore. I'm done. I can't do school. I hate feeling this way because I was feeling so dizzy in class. Um, But then of course, the next day I panicked that I wasn't in school and I emailed all my professors again and said, I'm back.
1: So Ali, talk to us about now you're, you know, you're having these shaking episodes from herxing, which is probably because your body's so toxic from, from the die off of the bacteria Mm -hmm. was your doctor at the time, Dr. Streit advising you to do anything to help open up your drainage pathways or detox or to help flush these toxins out of your body more quickly. So you can either stop herxing or decrease the herx or lessen the herx.
2: So he just continued to prescribe medication to help the herx, um, which is when I got onto the fluconazole, um, and then it was just kind of you know drink water, get rest, keep staying on the antibiotic, and you'll be okay. Um, which is why I eventually switched. You know, Doctor Strite is a wonderful doctor. He has helped my mom so much, um, but I am someone who loves holistic treatments, and I get really in depth and in detail with things. So I really wanted to find a doctor that told me a little bit more, um, and told me how to treat my body naturally, especially when the Herxin came though.
1: So what else did Dr. Strite prescribe you to help you manage the Herxes from the doxycycline? You mentioned the flucon, I can't pronounce, pronounce it, but the fluconazole, which I know I can't say, and that's for Candida, right?
2: Yes. Yes.
1: And, and how is that? how is addressing Candida helping you detox? Can you walk us through that a little bit?
2: So I was told that candida is a yeast infection and it can be in your mouth. He would always look at my tongue to see if my tongue was covered, um, to see if it was white. Um, so if you have a white tongue, that meant that you had candida and candida can actually lead to a lot of symptoms like fatigue, like dizziness, um, and even nausea, things like that. So the fluconazole is supposed to kill that bacteria, um, which would essentially help with the herxing as well.
1: So what point did you realize you needed to try somebody else and treat another doctor because you weren't getting, you know, the natural care that you knew you could be taking advantage of?
2: So I wanted to switch because I was still feeling dizzy. And I said, you know what, I'm on antibiotics. I'm on this medicine. I'm doing all of this to my body, but I'm not feeling good. So what is the point of me being on this? I need to try something else. Um, And I was really determined to... Make it go away because it's something dizziness, you know, it's hard to live with when you're sitting in class and when you have to walk to class, you know, it's not the easiest thing. Um, So, not having the symptoms change um, and remain the same was when I started to explore a more holistic
1: route. And about how long was that before you realized, you know what, I'm not feeling better and I need to make a change?
2: Oh gosh, it was probably about at least two years in, maybe two to three years in. Um, I actually had met a friend from college who had Lyme disease and we bonded over that. And she had um, told me that she went the holistic route and she was, um, you know, bedridden in high school. And now she's in college. She's with me. She's great. So I decided to go to her doctor.
1: So you're about 22, I guess, at this time. It sounds like. Yes. So walk us through, I guess. Were there any improvements from the doxycycline that you can share with our listeners that you felt were positive Mm -hmm. uh, um, besides, obviously, the consistent and persistent dizziness that you were experiencing?
2: So it definitely killed some bacteria. I mean, I was harxing, and we always say harxing is a good thing. You know, it's dying off. Um, So it definitely gave me that experience. Um, We didn't know, you know, what stage I was at with Lyme. So sometimes antibiotic later on with chronic Lyme doesn't always help, but I thought it would be a good thing to go on because it's still doing something. It's still killing some sort of bacteria. Um, And I did have, you know, moments where it was gone and I did feel good. And I remember after the first week of taking it, um, I felt really good. I felt back to normal, so to speak. So I've had great experience with it. Um, I will say too a positive thing about it was that my skin cleared up as well. Um, I know it can be beneficial for that but um, you know as far as really wanting to get to the root of the problem, I needed to figure out what was wrong with my my head or my ears or something um, but doxycycline I would definitely go on and I would actually go on periodically for a couple of weeks and then get off as well um, just to kind of get everything dying off.
1: But also the doxycycline can create candida, right? Or it can lead to candida, which was causing some of the other symptoms. So you're treating the bacteria and you're killing off some of the Lyme bacteria, but because you were so late stage, it wasn't enough to actually get you better and possibly cause another whole slew of problems over here with the candida, post, right? I mean, so it's, it's one of those weird situations.
2: Yes. Well, Lyme disease is a weird situation as well. (laughs) It's not straightforward. Um, So yes.
1: (laughs) So I have to say though, it sounds like all along you were, and I think this is really important because a lot of people have been treating with their physicians for many years and are afraid to make a change because they think they've made some improvement and they're afraid to go backwards, but you had the faith and the courage to say, yeah, I've made some improvements, but I still have these core symptoms, and I need to make more progress. And you made the decision to leave Dr. Strite and f- go treat with the natural doctor. So, you know, what caused you to take that leap of faith to go treat with somebody else after treating with Dr. Strite for about two years and, and really go on faith that you can even feel even better and, and not get worse like some other people in the Lyme community?
2: So I researched a lot about Lyme disease and social media was one of those things that had helped me because I saw other people sharing their stories. And at that time, I saw that a lot of people who had Lyme disease and who had gotten better healed holistically or with holistic, you know routines, maybe alongside of antibiotics. So that's when I started to exploring it, and I got really into it myself. Um, so that's where becoming a health coach came in because I said, look, I don't want to be on these antibiotics anymore. I could heal myself with something that's healthy and natural for me." So that's why I wanted to take that route. It kind of became, something I believed in, um, rather than just, okay, let me try this. It kind of became something I had faith in.
1: So you did your research and you had confidence and faith based on your research that this was going to work. So you didn't blindly jump into something by following another doctor. You made the decision that you wanted to go the natural route. And then you found a doctor who fit that need and and then went over to that doctor.
2: Yes. I figured I'd give it a try. Nothing could hurt. I wanted to keep getting better. So
1: so talk to us about if you are you comfortable sharing the name of your, your new doctor that you changed over to?
2: So at that time, it was Dr. Chung. Um, it's called the Chung Institute. Um, but I had since then left and have now I'm in at a new doctor.
1: <laughs> so talk to us about seeing Dr. Chung. And where, where is he? Was he, you know, where was he located?
2: He is in Morristown, New Jersey. So he is in the area.
1: So what What was that like going to see Dr. Chung and what was the takeaway? What herbs and natural things were you going to take to start treating Lyme disease?
2: So a lot of the things that I took, uh, were, had to do with chlorella. Chlorella was one thing. Um, I also took this supplement called cocktail and it has basically a bunch of herbs in it and acts as a natural antibiotic. Um, and through that time I would even get olive oil put through my sinuses and I also got bee venom. Um, so there was a lot of crazy things going on, um, that were really cool to experiment with. Um, but those were kind of the things that I ended up doing with Dr. Chung.
1: Okay. So I just want to recap. So I think you, the three main ones were chlorella, a natural antibiotic and bee venom therapy. Did that I miss something or those are the key three?
2: Those were the key three.
1: Okay. So first I want to kind of dive into each of those a little bit deeper. So let's talk about chlorella because that's, that's a really powerful binder specifically we know for things like heavy metals and, and also mold and candida too. So when you took the chlorella, did you have a reaction at first at all? Some people get constipated. Some people, you know, again, there's no such thing as too much information here. So you can be fully open and honest with us. You know, how did your body respond to chlorella?
2: So I was actually okay with chlorella. Um, I drank a lot, a lot of water with it. And that's something that you're supposed to do with it. Um, and I know Dr. Chung's whole thing was about detoxing heavy metals. Um, cause that was a big thing. So chlorella is really beneficial for that. Um, so when I took the chlorella, I was okay because I drank a lot of water and I think drinking a lot of water helps whether you're on chlorella or you're not because it's just flushing it out and detoxing the body.
1: So again, if this is too much information, you can choose not to share, but <laughs> people in the past have shared with us how they knew chloro, chlor, uh, chlorella was working for them based on certain things that happened. So whether it's a bowel movement or smell or consistency, was there anything that you were experiencing that showed you that you had heavy metal toxicity and the chlorella was actually working for you specifically?
2: Um, honestly, not. Not specifically. I mean, again, I have changed doctors since I have, have changed supplements since I have not been on chlorella, um, but nothing specifically, I really did not notice anything. Um, you know, with some supplements, of course I noticed more than others. Um, but you know, everyone's body responds so differently that I honestly didn't, I didn't notice anything. Um, and I would take quite a bit a day. Um, but again, like I said, I think just drinking the water helped. I mean, occasionally maybe I'd get a little bit of a stomach ache, um, but who knows if that was from the Corella or anything else.
1: So looking back, do you think that you had a high concentration of heavy metals in your system and your body was just tolerating it well, or do you think that maybe you, it weren't as toxic as your doctor thought with heavy metals?
2: That's a good question. Um, I think I was tolerating it well. I I do tend to tolerate some things pretty well. Um and again, I mean, you know, I can't, I didn't even know heavy metals was a thing be, before I had Lyme disease. So it's not like I could tell, you know, in my own body. Um, and the way that Dr. Chung tested it was with progressive, not progressive with um um muscles. So muscle testing. Yeah. Muscle testing, yes. Um so You know, I I don't know what was accurate for me. I have no idea how many heavy metals I had, but I do know that I do have a pretty high tolerance to certain supplements.
1: So talk to us about the natural antibiotic. What specifically was the natural antibiotic you were taking?
2: So it's called cocktail. Um, That's literally the name. Um, And it basically has a ton of herbs in it. It has things like stevia. It has things like lemongrass, um, All of the Japanese knotweed, um, there's probably 25 to 30 different herbs in it. And basically, it just acts as a natural antibiotic. Um, And I would take only about four drops of it a day in just a cup of water. And I still do take it. I just don't take it every day.
1: And was was this cocktail causing you to all?
2: Yes. Yes. So I actually found out years later um, just this past year that some of the ingredients in it could have caused me to become dizzy as well. Um, so that's why I'm not taking it every day. I'm just taking it every couple of days. Um, but at the time I didn't know that. Um, but I, it was making me herx as well, but it, very naturally, I was never, um, it was never super intense. Um, it was very, it was a very slow process.
1: So it wasn't as bad as your full body shaking that you experienced from the doxycycline. It was more of a gentle herx from the herbs.
2: Yes. Yes.
1: So do you know which herbs in the cocktail would cause dizziness as a side effect?
2: I do not. I do have the bottle somewhere. Um, So I could go ahead and look at it, but I am not sure what it was specifically. It was actually a neurologist that pointed it out. Um, And I only believe it was one of the herbs in there.
1: So let's also talk about bee venom therapy, because that's something that's really talked about a lot in the community. It's pretty scary. And a lot of people have done it and have had great success. So you were doing bee venom therapy with doctor, uh, with this doctor as well, right? And and I mean, what again? What gave you the the confidence and the faith to sting yourself with these bees, you know, on a daily basis?
2: So. The way Dr. Chung did bee venom was actually a little bit different than what you might normally see, um, on social media. Um, you know, I've seen people stinging themselves with bees, um, but this one was actually a little bit different. So I would actually go to her office every two weeks and I would get injections in my head and in my back. And it was an injection, not a bee. It was like a needle, um, full of procaine and bee venom. And procaine is meant to kind of stimulate the neurological system. Um, She actually had said that people might even take it before they have a big exam because it kind of gets you awake and everything going. Um, So I actually receive bee venom through an injection every two weeks at the doctor's office
1: what was that like getting the injection of bee venom into your body? You know, did you have an immediate reaction? Was there some sort of response or was it really just you didn't feel anything at the the time of injection?
2: So I definitely had a response. (laughs) So every time I had to do it, we would have to wait 15 minutes after to make sure I didn't go into anaphylactic shock. Um, and not that I have before, but because it's B venom, that's a possibility. So I would have to wait in the doctor's office at least, at least 15 minutes, um, after I got the injection and afterward I would get this severe headache. Um, I got the injections on the side of my head, the top of my head and then in my back and my back never hurt, except if I touched it, you know, if I put any pressure on it, um, but I would get these severe headaches and it just, it hurt so bad, but in the beginning, I really felt like it was working because I was feeling better. So I would have a headache reaction um, and that would go away, you know, within 24 hours, um, but it wasn't very enjoyable.
1: <laughs> you mentioned you were feeling better. How quickly did you feel better after getting these injections? Was it within the first week? Was it a couple of months? How, you know, how long was it?
2: Um, I wanna say it was at least one to two one one or to two weeks in. Um, because I do remember going out with my friend one night and I told her, I feel great. I'd been doing the venom. Um, you know, you kind of remember those moments of, oh, like, yes, I feel normal. Um, so it was actually one to two weeks afterward. Um, and I would kind of be up and down, you know, some days I would feel dizzy, but then other days I felt pretty good.
1: So how long were you with Dr. Chung altogether?
2: I was with Dr. Chung for a year.
1: And you mentioned that you were having some pretty positive results. So what caused you to change and leave Dr. Chung to go to your current doctor?
2: So Dr. Chung is not covered by insurance. So it added up pretty quickly. Uh, I was going to get the doctor every two weeks. Um, so if you can imagine spending hundreds of dollars every two weeks, um, it's not super easy. Um, so I wanted to find a doctor who did holistic medicine, you know, knew kind of those different strategies, um, but also was covered by insurance. So that's why I ended up switching.
1: Was there anything else noteworthy that you did with Dr. Chung besides the bee venom therapy, the procaine, the natural cocktail of antibiotics, of, of antibiotics or the natural antibiotics and the chlorella?
2: Um, there was nothing specific that I did, but I know Dr. Chung does offer different things. Um, we did do like foot baths to cleanse you know, any metals. Um, I did do an olive oil therapy to help with mold. Um, so I would have, you know, almost like an oxygen, um, thing around my face and it would have olive oil in it. Um, and that was supposed to help with mold. I've only done that a few times. Um, and she also did ozone, which I think ozone is something that's becoming a little bit popular, um, where they take the blood out of your body. They infuse it with ozone and then they put it back in your body. Um, that's not something I ever did. Um, but I know that they do that. And I've seen a lot of people getting that done.
1: So give us an assessment as to where your health was at. I guess this sounds like probably about a a, a year ago when you left Dr. Chung, right? Was that is that time wise the proper timing? Yeah,
2: it's about like a year to two years ago. I would say you know I, I lose so much track of time, but um <laughs> like a year and a half ago, um yeah, I mean sh- they were great. Um, I still wasn't feeling that great. You know, I had my moments. Um, but I was still feeling dizzy, and I just was not feeling the way I want to
1: feel. So you made progress, but not the progress you wanted. It sounds like. And now you 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 probably were out of college at this point. So you were you graduated? Were you working? Were you in graduate graduate school? Where were you at with your career just to, at this point?
2: So I was actually still in college. Um, this must have been maybe the end of my sophomore junior year. Um, so I was actually still in college, um, and I was still working. You know, I was still um was student teaching at the time, you know, I was still going through it. I was trying to go to parties. I was trying to socialize. Um, I was a leadership, I did do some leadership activities. Um, so I had a lot of responsibilities, um, but I wasn't feeling as good as I wanted. I didn't think to me, I didn't think it was fair that I was still feeling dizzy and I wanted to be able to do all these things.
1: So once again, it's sort of, it sounds like it wasn't just the financial, I guess, problem that you were experiencing, you know, that you had out of pocket with Dr. Chung, it was the fact that you made some progress, but you sort of plateaued. So based on this fact that you were spending a ton of money and you plateaued, you wanted to go on to another doctor. Is that, is that correct?
2: Yeah, it's definitely a combination of both. You know, I was still searching for someone who could just really heal me because I just wanted it to go away so badly.
1: <laughs> how did you do, how did you do your research and what doctor did you land with next to start continue your treatment?
2: So I did my research mostly through social media, to be honest. Um, And then, of course, I ended up, you know, looking at some scholarly articles, looking at databases, things like that. Um, And anytime I found something that interests me, I would just dig a little bit deeper. Um, So now, and I am still with this doctor, but now I am with Dr. Dracone, and he does a little bit of both. He does Western and Eastern medicine. So he's given me antibiotics, but he's also given me natural supplements. And I absolutely love the balance.
1: So when you went to Dr. Dracone, did you stop doing the bee venom therapy and everything you were doing with Dr. Chung and start something new?
2: Yes, I did. I did. I changed everything. <laughs>
1: So what, what did you begin with, with Dr. Chacon about a year and a half ago when you started? Was it, was it antibiotics again? Was it natural? Was it a combination? You know, what specifically was it?
2: So I did begin with antibiotics again, um, but he had also tested for things like mold, um, you know, heavy metals, of course. So I did begin antibiotics and then he gave me um, a supplement that was natural for anxiety because I kept saying, I think anxiety has a lot to do with this. And I almost felt like myself, I was manifesting it. Now, like we hear a lot of people say, you know, it's all in your head. It's all in your head. I think I made it worse by thinking about it. And I know it was actually happening, but there were times where I would think about it and then make the dizziness happen. Um, So that's when I got onto anxiety supplements as well.
1: So what antibiotics were you on? Was it doxycycline again, or was it something else?
2: It was doxycycline. Um, and I did that for, I think I, I did that on and off for like two or three weeks. So I'd be on it for three weeks, be off for like a week or two and then go back on three weeks. So I kind of gave my body a break in between, but it was doxycycline. And then I did try another antibiotic and I'm blanking on the name again.
1: So Sally, talk to us about now, you mentioned that you are back on doxycycline, but you also went on a supplement to address your anxiety. So what specific supplement did you go on to address the anxiety?
2: The supplement's called Travacore. And that was supposed to be natural. And it is natural, not supposed to be. It is natural. Um, And it basically plays with the neurons, I believe, um, and kind of different things in your brain, you know, the chemical messengers, things like that. um, And it boosts them. So it's kind of like a natural dopamine kind of serotonin um, activator, I would say. And did it work? It, yeah, it actually did work pretty well. Um, I ended up switching to a real anxiety medication um, to help with the dizziness. Um, but it did work, you know, and I really do like natural th- supplements as well. So yeah, it did work. But it definitely takes time. You know, it took a couple months for it to work.
1: So you mentioned that you went on anxiety medication as well to help with the dizziness. Did, that, did it help? So did were your suspicions true that when you were getting anxious, you were actually bringing on like a, a vertigo spell?
2: Yes, yes. Um, the anxiety caused a lot. Um, and I also found out, you know, later on, after so many different doctors and diagnoses, um, it's possible that the Lyme disease caused a vestibular migraine, um, which is where vertigo and dizziness would come from. And SSRIs, selective serotonin response inhibitors, are supposed to help with migraines. Um, so I kind of went on a court on anxiety medication for a combination of helping with the dizziness, but also calming my own anxiety because I was making it worse.
1: So this is the best approach because it would help cut the anxiety, but also help physiologically what was going on potentially causing the dizziness to begin with.
2: Yes. Yeah. It kind of treated a couple things at once.
1: So what else did you do with Dr. Dracone? Did you, so you went back on the, on the doxy, you kind of cycled that on and off for a couple of weeks. You went on this supplement for anxiety, then you went on to this SSRI for anxiety to help with the two, the two factors we just talked about, you know, was there anything else you've done over the last year and a half, with Dr. Dracone?
2: Of course, um, as you know, as someone with Lyme, we all have more than one supplement. So um, my one recent thing that I did go on earlier in February were these two supplements um, called banderol and cemento. Okay. I love them. That is just my experience. Um, I am still on them. Um, but they have knock on wood, um, have <laughs> been beneficial. So I did do those with him as well. And I'm continuing to do those with him.
1: So banderol and cemento, what are they for? Are they for actually addressing the, the pathogens and killing the pathogens? Like what's what's the purpose of those two herbs?
2: So cemento is cat's claw, um, which is supposed to be a very strong antibiotic. Um, I have read, I am not a doctor, but I have read that cemento is stronger than a regular antibiotic and can actually get to the root of the bacteria and kill that. Um, banderol kind of just aids in that process. Um, sometimes I, cat's claw or a cemento can be a little bit too strong for your body um and can even cause negative effects. So the banderol kind of balances that out um where it takes the strength of the cat's claw away.
1: So does it does it does the banderol actually make the cat's claw more diluted, I guess, in simple terms? Or does it, does it not take away from its potency, but make your body less reactive to it, if that makes sense? I'm trying to understand that better.
2: So it, I would say it dilutes it a little bit. Um, you do take them separately, at, le- at least that's how I am taking them. Um, but cat's law can have certain elements in it that aren't the best for your body. And I believe banderol is kind of the balance for that, where it kind of um, gets rid of those elements and makes them less strong to put in the rooms.
1: And these are through Nutrimetics. Is that the supplement company that you're yes. getting them from? Okay. Yes. <laughs> we've actually heard a lot of people recently. Um, and again, a lot of things you're telling us today are very timely because we've been hearing so much about, about chlorella and specifically banderol and cemento working very well for people. So yes. talk to us about the efficacy of these two herbs of the, the banderol and cemento. Did they help you? What was your reaction to them?
2: So I really don't want to jinx anything, but I will say that, um, just about a month ago, my Lyme results had improved and the numbers had went down. Um, and I've, that was the first positive result I had gotten in six years.
1: That's amazing. And now just 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 a month ago, congratulations.
2: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm staying on them. I really do enjoy being on them. I will say sometimes, Taking supplements, you know, if you want to go out, you want to live your life, it is a little bit annoying. You know, I do find myself going to the bathroom and pouring, and I have a portable cup now, it's like a little portable plastic cup where <laughs> I put in my drops, and I take it while I'm in the bathroom and then I go back out to dinner or whatever. But um, as long as they help, you know, that's what's the best part of it. So I will say that they have improved my results, and I have to give credit to them just because. I've tried so many things for the past six years, and those were the really kind of new things that I tried. And to have that positive result, I have to give credit to those two supplements.
1: So, I'm going to ask you a really hard question that is probably no true answer to because none of us really know the answer. But, <laughs> do you think that if you started the Cemento and Banderol earlier on in your journey, you would have had the same positive results you're having today? Or do you think that it's the buildup effect of possibly everything you've done, right? Because you mentioned that you were on a lot of natural antibiotics with Dr. Chung. You were on you were on the Japanese knotweed, which is a super powerful antimicrobial, just like just like um cat's claw, right? Then you were on you were on a ton of binders, you use bee venom therapy. So you did a lot of things to address your root causes. And then you had this major success, you know, most recently with cemento and banderol. So do you think it was the buildup, or do you think that it was really banderol and cemento? That was just a missing piece here that you should have been on all along.
2: Oh gosh. Yes. That's a tough question. Um, Um, I do want to say that I wish I found the banderol and cemento a little bit earlier um, just because of the results that I feel, but at the same time, I'm a big believer in mindset. And I think by this time, everything that I've learned and everything that I felt and just kind of knew about myself is also what led to that healing. So it's almost like they came at the right time. And of course, yes, if they are the things that really helped me, you know, I do wish I found them earlier, but I almost feel like they wouldn't have the same power. If that makes sense. It does. I kind of gave them the power to do that. If that makes any sense.
1: It, It makes so much sense, Ellie. It really does. And I know that was an impossible question and you answered it perfectly. So, you know, you're going to talk to us because obviously cemento and banderol were your game changers so far were, did you hurt? Were there any side effects? You know, what were, talk to us more about those two, those two supplements you take by Nutramedix.
2: So I had started with one drop of each twice a day, and you're supposed to start with one and work your way up to 20. That's the directions I was told. I believe that's the same on the bottle. Um, So I started working with one drop and then I added two and then I noticed I wasn't feeling too great and I had a lot of things I had to get done. You know, I was working, um, I was teaching actually, and I was finishing up school. So I figured I don't want to rush anything. So what I ended up doing was staying on one drop for a week and then I would do two drops for a week and then three drops for a week instead of switching every day. And I worked my way up to about 13 drops and I realized I couldn't go past 13 because it was a little bit too strong for me. And so I went back down I went back down to 12. I stayed on 12 for a little while. Um, and then now I'm officially just on 10 because my goal was to get off of it. You know, I said I was feeling better, but I still want to treat anything that's left in my body or any symptoms. I don't want symptoms to come back. So I've been on 10 drops for the past two months, um, just because that's in the middle. And I find that's a good dosage for me. I think everyone would have a different dosage. Um, it really just depends on your symptoms, what you can handle. Um, so I think it's different for everybody, but I have picked 10 just because 10 is in the middle and it's working for me.
1: So it sounds like you did what is, I think the most ideal thing to do. You started low, and mm-hmm. you wanted to make sure you had a minimal herx because you recognize that severe herxes are not good like you had early on when your whole body was shaking, right? Mm-hmm. And then you slowly built up with those minimal herxes until your body can tolerate it and you found your sweet spot and then you stayed there. And now you're sort of bringing yourself down a little bit because you're at, you, you hit your, your, your good point and you want to keep yourself healthy. So you did mention that you're feeling a lot better. Mm-hmm. And this is within the last you know, month or two. Give us an idea. How, how bad is your dizziness? How bad is your vertigo right now? You know, how, how much has it improved?
2: So fortunately, I have not had a vertigo episode in about a year. Um, I have noticed that caffeine will trigger it, even the smallest amount. So I will not have caffeine. Um, But as far as dizziness goes, you know, I used to sit in my room crying about it. You know, I would cry every single day. I was having such a hard time going to class and just working and just living my life. Um, And now, you know, it's definitely a lot less. Um, again, I got a knock on wood, but that,
1: that's amazing. The fact that you haven't had a vertigo spell in over a year. I mean, I, I just, I just, that is so powerful. And I hope you realize how amazing that is that all of your hard work is paid off. I mean, that's, that's great.
2: It's wonderful. It's wonderful. I mean, the power of the universe, I feel like, I mean, these things come from the earth. So it's just, it's really wonderful that something so natural could help me out.
1: I mean, it's the power of the universe, and it's the power of natural medicine, but it's also the power of this, I don't want to say intuition, because I think it's more than that, it's the power of your ability to realize when something is working and not, and you made a lot of changes over the last, what, I mean, you know, four years that you've been diagnosed, right, and each change, you made a little bit more and more progress, and it's your own, I guess, mindset, as you called it, that has resulted in the success that you've had, too.
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, you heard before that I kind of started out pretty ignorant, you know, thinking that this is really nothing and I'm just going to live my life and do what I want. And today I'm beyond self-aware and I could read every sign my body gives me and I know what to do and how to respond. And, um, you know, I give credit to Lyme for that because I think being self-aware, whether you have Lyme or not is important, um, just to know your own mental, physical, and even emotional
1: health. So now, you know, we're, we're kind of caught up to the current day and then, you know, welcome us through. So now you're 24 today. Did, were you able to graduate college? Did you, you know, were you able to get through?
2: I was, and I graduated with honors.
1: Congratulations. <laughs> so I'm
2: very proud of that.
1: <laughs> and it sounds like you were studying to be a teacher. You mentioned that you were student teaching. So are you teaching? What are you doing today?
2: I am. I am a kindergarten teacher. Um, and then in addition to that, I'm also health coaching. So Once I graduate, so I graduated college in 2020, and in 2021, I said I'm going to be a health coach. This is something that I wanted to do since my junior year of college once I started researching Lyme, Um, and I attended the Mayo Clinic, um, and I had just graduated from the Mayo Clinic in July and officially received my Mayo Clinic coaching certification. And now I'm in the process of becoming a national board certified coach in which I'd be certified by the board of medical examiners. So it would be a huge deal um, and I'm really excited about it. And I really get to live the best of both worlds. You know, I get to be a teacher but then I also get to health coach and I just, it all feels so wonderful.
0: So, Ali, talk to us about um, how you discovered the elements of uh, what are your what I'm going to call your new superpowers, or the superpowers where you became a health coach. Because during your childhood, you wanted to be an actress or an actor, and uh, you were you were. <laughs> you were spending time uh, preparing yourself by taking dance classes and other types of, um, of artistic uh, uh, classes. Um, mm-hmm. Then you, then you, you discover this passion to become a teacher and you, and you pursued that and you said you wanted to teach uh, children with special needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now you now you're doing something altogether different than um, than certainly your childhood passions had uh, developed yeah. for you So talk to us about how you discovered that superpower that you now have, that's causing you to be um, a certified health coach.
2: So my junior year of college was when I really discovered that I need to help people. I need to be a health coach. I didn't know what a health coach was. Um, even the year before that, you know, my freshman year of college, sophomore year of college, I never heard of a health coach. Um, and it's becoming something, you know, a job that is very popular. Um, and I wanted to be a health coach because I'm doing these wellness you know, routines and techniques every day, you know, I'm living it. And I also want to help people. Um, so it was my junior year of college where I said, I want to be in health. This is the most important thing to me. It was a secret. Now don't tell my students, but it's way more interesting than teaching. Um, and I absolutely just, I just fell in love with the idea of, you know, mental wellness, physical wellness, emotional wellness. I mean, wellness is everything. It's multidimensional and it's the way you live your life. And that just kind of came out to me. So just becoming self-aware and being able to help people um, is just beautiful. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, let's talk about health coaching because I, I can tell you that uh, as East Coast guys, Matt and I never heard of health coaches until we started doing this podcast. Mm-hmm. and And when we first started interviewing health coaches, i I quite frankly raised my brow like, all right, you're a health coach kind of thing. <laughs> and I really didn't I really didn't see the value of health coaching uh, mm-hmm. until time had gone on. and I'm now hundred and eighty degrees in the opposite direction where I'm now <laughs> arguing that you you are, Uh, going to be substantially more likely to heal from any chronic disease, but more importantly, Lyme disease, if you have a health coach. So talk about why health coaching is so vital and why it's now becoming an East coast um, discipline, not just a West coast discipline.
2: So some of the roles of a health coach is to help someone identify their values and identify their strengths and keep them accountable. And if you're dealing with Lyme disease or any other chronic disease, you're not really focusing on your strengths. You're not paying attention to your values. You're kind of just figuring out what is wrong with me. What can I do? I'm so overwhelmed. So the health coach kind of just guides a person to their best self. So it keeps them accountable. It allows them to recognize what is good within them. You know, what can I do? What is strong about me? You know, um, it allows them to recognize their values and you kind of just combine that, you know, in your everyday life, you know, maybe you value um, holistic wellness like I did. And then that's where you take that route. And the health coach cannot, you know, advise you and give you medical advice unless they have some sort of other education, maybe in that field. Um, You know, they're not therapists, but we are here to guide you and we are here to help you. And what I love about it is that I'm using my own story to help other people. So I can relate, you know, it's not like they, I've never been through this. I really don't know what you're feeling. I can. And especially with people with Lyme disease, the only people that will understand you are the people that have Lyme Lyme disease. So being a health coach just allows me to bring out the best in people and have them become their best selves as well.
0: So Ali, one of the things we've discovered here at Tick Camp after 225 or so podcasts is that the people who heal from Lyme disease are the people who build teams and develop tools or a toolbox. And um, you know, I've used a metaphor on many, on many occasions that any team needs a coach, right? And, and, and especially a team of healthcare providers, because in the managed care environment, Doctors are people who can spend very little time with us. In most cases, it's less than 15 minutes. So there is this gap between what we need when we're going on this healthcare journey um, or this healing journey and what is available to us systemically. And I believe that the the development of this health coaching discipline um, is vital in a system where we only have limited access to our healthcare providers, but even more importantly, where we have diseases that are going to attack every element of our lives, Lyme disease will attack you financially, it will attack you socially, it will attack your family, it will attack you emotionally, it'll attack you in every possible way. And if you're going on this journey with someone else who's already been on the journey, like you have, and you are educated and trained on how to bring people through these challenges and help their families go through these challenges, mm-hmm. the outcome is gonna be substantially better because you'll be healthier emotionally, you'll be healthier mm-hmm. socially, and that will allow your immune system to do the work it needs to do. So talk to us about you know, my metaphor and what Matt and I have disco- the- discovered between team development and tool development as being vital on a Lyme disease healing journey. Well,
2: you know, a lot of people with Lyme disease everyone is so unique. You know, everyone is different. Every story is different. Everyone has different symptoms. Everyone goes to different doctors. So having a health coach and having a team, you know, where it's personalized, right? When you're with a doctor, that doctor's meeting with different people each day. And like you said, maybe for 10, 15 minutes, while as a health coach, that person is spending their time listening to you and, making a guide for you of what is best. And they're able to relate. They're able to pull out your values, your strengths, and it's all personalized. And I feel like when you go to doctors, that emotional component of understanding is really not there. As far as a health coach, our responsibility is to have empathy and to understand you. While as a doctor might have a little bit more sympathy, health coaches have a little bit more empathy, you know? So it's more of I understand you rather than I feel sorry for you. Um, And that's what I like about having, being able to share my story is that I do understand you Um, and having that team of people around you. So you don't feel as alone is incredibly important. And especially when you need someone to answer personal questions, you know, the doctor might not focus on your mental or your emotional health. They might not focus on your relationships or your career, right? They kind of just give you the medicine and tell you what you need to do for your physical health. But as a health coach, you know, wellness is everything. So we take into consideration, what are your relationships, right? How can we improve those? You know, how is your career affecting you? How can we improve that? So being a health coach, yes, it's a team with the person, but it also takes a lot more into consideration.
0: Talk to us about what health coaches can do for families, both the person who's sick and the family of the person who's sick. Because, um, you know, one of the things that I learned as a coach myself was that I really wasn't a particularly effective coach when I was coaching my own children. And generally what I would do is have either one of the other coaches that I'd work with coach my children and I would coach their children because there are challenges about pushing your own children and your own children receiving that kind of feedback. And then also talk to us about how coaches can help families understand what's going on with a loved one who has Lyme disease and how, for example, they can look healthy but be really sick and understand how the lack of support and a lack of validation will hurt their loved one from getting better?
2: So a lack of support and validation, you know, is very common in the Lyme community. Um, And health coaches do help the individual work with the family. Um, And if the health coach is working with the whole family and getting everyone involved, then they're able to provide a little bit more support and a little bit more understanding for the person who has Lyme. Um, You know, if the person, We're working one-on-one with the person who has Lyme, we teach them, you know, how to best interact with their family. And I'm not saying do this, do that, do this, but we figure out their own personal situation and we say, you know, what can you do? And they kind of come up with the ideas without realizing it. You know, that's kind of the trick to health coaching is that you're asking questions, but you're asking the right questions. And you're pulling things out of the person that they already have within them. So they already know the answers. So as far as, you know, working with a family, the individual gets to learn, you know, how can I respond? How can I share my story? But then working with the family themselves, we're able to get them a little bit more involved and have them understand that, yes, they may look good, but this is what's going on in the inside. And this is what the process is like.
0: So Ali, one of the things that I've learned through doing this podcast with Matt and watching Matt's healing journey is that one of the biggest challenges Matt always had, when he was he was afraid that if he tried something, he'd get more sick, right? There was this fear that would prevent him from trying something new. And sometimes it was as simple as Matt not even being willing to go for a walk with me because he's afraid that he'd get sick. So talk about how a coach can push someone and encourage someone and get them moving and acting which is going to be necessary for them to heal in a way that it's probably not right for a family member to do.
2: So a health coach has training in what questions to ask, right? We have to ask open ended questions, you know. We have to pull out the reflections. We're listening for certain things. You know, health coaching is really all about listening. And a lot of people don't listen as well as we think, right? We listen with the intent to respond, right? So a health coach listens to the person and is able to kind of pull out those things of what they need to do. So as far as, you know, working with a family or being effective and knowing what to do, the person just finds it within themselves. You know, I'm there to guide them because I might not have all the answers. Of course, I can share my own stories and advice with their permission, but it's really all about the person. Um, it's a very, very person-centered and it's a very personalized experience as well.
0: And the personalized experience that's in some cases requires them to be pushed to take some action, right? Because if you right. don't take any action, you're not going to heal, Like right? One of the things we've, we've learned more than anything else from this podcast is that actors heal. And people who don't act and people who don't take action do not heal. And, and I think that's one of the most important things that a line coach or a health coach can do because it can, you know, they can use their skills and their training to prompt somebody to take action so they can go on a healing journey.
2: Right, right. And, you know, health coaches, like I said, pull out the values, pull out the strengths. So when a person's focused on what means the most to them and what they can do and they're focused on the positive that encourages them to take action. And if we experiment maybe with one thing and it doesn't go the right way, then we revise it. You know, you're not alone in this process. We're working together. It's all about figuring out what it is that you want. Let's explore it. Let's see where our strengths are, what we can work on. And then we experiment and then we evolve from there. So it's kind of this whole process.
0: So I'm going to ask you to keep your your health coach hat on for the last question that we are going to ask you that we ask every one of our our guests. Um, And let's assume I'm now being coached by you and Mm -hmm. I come to you and I say, Allie, I've just been bitten by a tick. I'm very anxious. I want to know what action I should take so that I can prevent myself from getting sick and I can protect myself from having to go on a chronic uh, illness journey. What would you recommend that I do? What steps would you recommend that I take so that I wouldn't have to go on a chronic Lyme disease journey?
2: So the first thing I would do would figure out how much you actually know about Lyme, right? What do I know about Lyme? What is it that I need to do? Um, and then number one thing I would say would be to go to the doctor and get on an antibiotic as soon as possible and monitor it. I would want to be checking in with that person. I would want to make sure that, you know, they're observing their body, any bullseye. If not, even still, what are your symptoms? What is different about you? Have you noticed anything? Being self-aware. Being self-aware was the thing that I learned that I had to be. And Lyme makes you become self-aware in every single way. So being aware of your symptoms, being aware of how you're feeling, if there's anything different, keeping you know progress, keeping track of everything. Um, first step, how, do, how much do I know about Lyme? get on antibiotic, and then how am I feeling? Um, and make sure you're checking in with yourself as well.
0: Allie Lopes, we can't thank you enough for spending time on the Tick Bootcamp podcast.
2: Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me. Such an honor.
0: Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with our guest, Allie Lopes. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Allie Lopes, please visit our Instagram page at Allie Lopes underscore. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of our post. Third, Tick Bootcamp is created a tick by blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests like Ali Lopes. We urge you to visit our website at tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please note we'd appreciate any input or any improvements you would like to share with us. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank you, our community, for your comments on our past podcast episodes. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on Apple Podcasts, on Instagram, or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you, as always, for listening.